y'all. Welcome back to The Drip. We are the podcast where academics of color sit around and discuss great books. Each episode features a free-flowing conversation about one book that leads us to a broader conversation about race, culture, and politics. All the things that keep us gabbing when we're hanging out in coffee shops or in each other's homes, or when we are still really in our own homes, because at least in Minnesota, it's snowy and slushy and cold. Um, and also, before we begin, solidarity with all people in the world defending their lands and their sovereignty. I'm Anita Chikatur, the host for the show, and I teach in the Department of Educational Studies at Carleton College. Crystal. Yeah, my name is Crystal Moten. I am an African-Americanist public historian working in a museum in the nation's capital. Thank you. Todd. Hello, I'm Todd. <clears throat> I teach in the English department at the University of St. Thomas, teach African-American literature and expressive culture, folklore, and cultural studies. Awesome. Thank you. We are so excited today to be talking about Zakia Delilah Harris's debut novel, The Other Black Girl. Like Nella, the protagonist of the novel, Harris, is work, uh, Harris worked as an editorial assistant and an assistant editor in a publishing house before writing this novel. And the novel has gotten all kinds of accolades, including becoming a New York Times instant bestseller. Um, and before we dig in, just a reminder, spoiler alert, when we talk about our books, we will talk about everything. As you may know, we are called the Old Spoilers Collective. Well, we call ourselves that. Uh, so you may consider this your self-described, self-described, your perpetual all-encompassing spoiler alert. And this book does have a doozy of a plot twist. So consider yourself warned. So I first read this book kind of earlier in the year. And as I was reading it, I had texted Todd a quote from the book, which was on page 56. And maybe I'll just read it because I think it's like gets at a, a lot of different things in the book. And this is the protagonist, sort of Nella, and sort of the other uh, counter protagonist, maybe, I don't know if that's a word, um, Hazel, and they're having a conversation. And Hazel is asking about Nella's boss, Vera. And she says, oh, I thought maybe like Vera was one of the good ones. And then Nella's um, sort of internal monologue, right? And it says, this is on 56, one of the good ones one of the most dangerous phrases to ever exist in the English language. Nella's mother always liked to say, and Nella had grown to agree with her. She'd accept the idea of allies, people who quote unquote got it. She decided Owen was one of those people a couple of weeks after they'd met online and started dating. Nothing in particular moved her in this way. It wasn't really because he quote unquote didn't see race or that he knew all the lyrics to Al Green's love and happiness, because respectively he did and he didn't, although he did a pretty great imitation of Al Green's ad-libs. But she refused to call even her boyfriend, quote unquote, one of the good ones, because consist such consistency, such innocence was quite nearly impossible from one human. And I thought that was like a really good description of like why it's really unproductive, right, to talk about sort of the good ones when we're thinking about people in like dominant identities. But when I texted Todd, he sort of wrote back and he's like, oh, it's funny because like I only hear it when people are calling me one of the good ones, right, as in like I'm one of the like palatable, palatable like black people, um, which also funnily enough, right, like applies to this book a lot. And so sort of, you know, so we sort of had that chat. But then when I finished the book, I texted him and I was like, I don't really know what to make of this book, right? Like, I don't know whether the turn in the book towards kind of like a sci-fi horror twist, like really adds anything to our understanding of like, I think the really good description of like the real life horror of being like a black person in a white supremacist workplace. Um, so that's definitely something that I wanted to chat with somebody about. So I was like super excited when the two of you were like, let's do this for our podcast. I'm like, yes, I want to talk about this all. Um, but I thought we could actually dig in by talking about the cover, which I'm kind of holding up that none of you can obviously see when you're listening to the podcast. But so the cover that we all have, there might be different covers. It's kind of blue and there's kind of a picture of sort of a dark skinned young women with like hair. And then there's sort of a picture of a pick that's also like maybe part of a earring, but the pick is uh, the handle of the pick is in the shape of a fist. Um, so yeah, let's start there. What did y'all think about I found the like cover really striking, which honestly might have been why I picked up the book. I don't remember sort of why I got it. It's a beautiful book. cover, don't you it's think? Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I, I love the the kind of royal blue and black and white. But then also I think one of the things about the cover, which I just did, is that if you open the cover flat and actually look at both of the images, it also kind of looks like two black women looking at each other. Oh. Um, and I think that might be an important um, kind of visual cue about the context of the book. Like you could think of it as, oh, two black women looking at each other, or this is a mirror image of 
you know, of the um, mm. the black woman who is her her the shape of her is in kind of black. So I, yeah, I think I think the the cover is really provocative in terms of the visual the visuality of it. Mm-hmm. I agree, and I think like how many times do you <clears throat> buy a book because the cover is cool, like or or pick it up at least. Right. And that's one of the things about uh, we we've lost a little bit about going to bookstores is being able to like browse to a bookstore and see a cover that's interesting and pick it up and mm-hmm. and then take a little look at the first few pages of the back. Yes. But I think yeah, I think I, I think what you said is right on, Crystal. I mean, either these two women, two black women looking at each other, or I think I like the mirror image because I think that a lot of this book is really about mm-hmm. you know Nella sort of getting gaining some sort of. Uh, deeper understanding of herself and her own experience or maybe like she's doing this sort of detective work because in a way it's a detective story right Mm -hmm. um part of the detection is like about sort of discovering something about herself and then what she does once she has discovered that Mm -hmm. yeah so i think the image is really appropriate Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. no and i I was oh oh go ahead i was trying to think about the actual hair in the image on the cover in terms of the way the hair is depicted on the cover is kind of different from what, from what I would expect in thinking about the way or what I, what I typically see when I see what I know is now supposed to be perhaps um, natural hair depicted. Right. So Mm. instead of having curls or coils, we kind of get this, almost bouffant looking imagery of lines like you know and, and they're kind of going all which away but it's just different than what you expected it's kind of thinking about it's the shape of an afro but what is actually the structure underneath Ooh. right which is significant right yes right, right. and i also feel like in, see, in the, oh sorry i was just gonna say like you could see uh relaxed hair that's kind of like up in a big kind of Yes. You know. Yes. Um, or it could be. Yeah, I think that I, I didn't thought about that. That was that's that's a good point. Yeah, I was gonna just say that, like in the mirror image, it's a little bit more um, unclear, right? What the hair mm-hmm. like looks mm-hmm. like, right? Because in the yellow right. part of it, right. it's just like kind of like a little bit more fuzzy. But also the the pick is in the hair um, in that photo, which I thought was like also interesting. And I also love the like. I mean, I was just gonna say like I totally love the like. Is she looking at herself or is she like looking at somebody else? But also that's like, is Hazel the same as Nella? Or is Nella becoming Hazel? Or is you know, is Nella right? Would Nella have right. become Hazel even without the like sci-fi horror twist of like the hair grease, which is like I think interesting, right? Because in that like last conversation that they have, it's like you know Hazel was like, yeah, but you already did these things. That was like before you put on, you know, and like Nella realizes that it was before she put on the hair grease. And so she was like, oh, wait, (laughs) right. Like, was I actually also just becoming the other black girl even without the like OBG like hair serum? So I do think that it's like really interesting to think about this image as like reflecting a lot of that ambiguity, right, in like how Nella was thinking about herself and where she ends up. (laughs) But yeah, but let's talk. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I have two things. First, it, it just struck me, you know, the pick that you um, talked about, you described, and is on the, both the front and the back of the book is a black pick on the back of the book. And it's a pick where the handle is the fist, which right. is a symbol of, you know, like revolutionary politics and movements, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. when you would see that. And so I think, like, it's kind of interesting to me because although this book has like a, you know, it's got the OBGs and then it's got this resistance movement. Um, the resistance movement doesn't seem to be particularly revolutionary to me. Um, the book, it, like the politics of the book, in fact, don't seem to be very revolutionary mm. to me, unless I'm reading it wrong, which is entirely possible. Um, so I would love to have your guys' input on that. But I mean, I think it's kind of weird to have this, unless the pick is just supposed to you know, represent blackness and a certain brand of blackness. But if it's about a certain kind of politics, mm. I'm not sure I see that in the book that much right so i don't know what you guys think about that well i I had two two comments one unrelated one related in terms of the pick and and what it represents you know my 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 first comment and thought and uh when i saw the pick was that like i mentioned you all it's an earring Mm -hmm. right where the placement is on the cover to me it's an earring Mm -hmm. and so i think about the ways in which kind of revolutionary imagery have become commercialized, right? Mm-hmm. Their their earrings, their necklaces, yep. their bracelets. Like you know, people wear onks all over. You know, the Egyptian symbol for life. Mm-hmm. And so, in some ways, um, you know, is the, is the placement of this is the is the 
the creation of this pick into an or the making of this pick into an earring doesn't mean anything. Like, is it is it just being co-opted? Mm-hmm. We can talk about that. And then the other unrelated comment is that um, the the image on the cover to me also looks like the the internal like the brain, like the way the like pictures of yes. the brain. And so that mm-hmm. also kind of connects to what the what the hair grease does to a person's mind. <laughs> so to, to That's very good. Yeah, no, I want to keep going on the like the revolutionary politics yes. and non-revolutionary politics because I definitely was thinking, Todd, when you were talking about it, like I definitely, you know, sort of like a, thinking about now revolution has become just about symbols, right? Like we wear mm-hmm. a Che Guevara, like Che Guevara or like, you know, Angela Davis, like t-shirt or sweatshirt, but like, right. you know, somebody called you a communist, communist, you'd be like offended, right? <laughs> like, I think it's just like thinking about like politics has been de-radicalized because of like capitalist appropriation of symbols, um, right. So I think like thinking about, especially if this is like more a earring than like an actual pick, like I think that ma- that makes like so much more sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, let's like talk about that, right? Like talk about sort of like the politics of the book and like where do we think it stands? Because I agree with you, Todd, <laughs> right? Like I think that it's not, yeah, like the resistance is like resisting other black, I don't know, like who are they resisting and like what were they resisting is still like a question to me. Um, so yeah. It doesn't seem to me like that, there is like so i'm i'm thinking of um uh oh god i'm totally blanking on the book that i want to compare this to so i'll come back to that comparison but i'm just thinking like in books that depict you know and i'm thinking of fiction you know novels that depict um revolutionary kind of groups you get a sense of what the group's you know sort of political um position is and why they're doing what they're doing and i think you're right like the the resistance here is more of a reaction to a, another movement that is threatening you know black women who want to be themselves in in the workplace or you know whatever don't want to be under the influence of this hair grease right <laughs> um and i was just thinking like when i was thinking about the politics i immediately went to the conversation that you referenced just a few minutes ago between Hazel <clears throat> and Nella, where Hazel's trying to convince Nella that she should just give over to this, um, to the OBGs. Mm-hmm. And Nella, at one point on page uh, 345, she starts to think about like the stuff that she hasn't been doing. Yeah. And she said, um, she couldn't remember the last time she'd shared a link on Twitter about any black issues. It had been weeks, months, maybe she saw a girl who who declined her boyfriend's proposal, go see a documentary about wrongful incarceration at BAM, citing too much work as an excuse. And like, so she's talking about like how she's been overworked and she hasn't been able to like do, engage in what I think she's saying is sort of like political activity, which to me seems very, um, (laughs) seems like very empty political activity, right? Like posting on Facebook Mm -hmm. and things like that, um, as opposed to, I don't know, like, I guess I wrote in the margin, are these the things that matter? I guess is what I was thinking. Is there how much? I guess maybe my question, and maybe it's provocative, or maybe it isn't. How much difference is there between Nella with the grease and Nella without the grease? You know, like there's an internal difference in, in the sense that she doesn't have to feel the pain of being in the space where she feels, you know, paranoid and crazy and all the all of that. But is there really much difference in terms of like what she's doing? materially to like advance black people or to you know what i'm saying I, mm-hmm. am i being unfair no i mean this is so interesting i mean i have so i have so much churning inside but in terms of this the answer to this direct question i think the author wants us to think it's blurry because one of the reasons why they target Nella in the first place is because they think she is more susceptible to the hair grease, right? So she's already to them exhibiting some, some behavior, some, some, some emotions, some actions that would lend them to lend them to think, Oh, Mm. you know, she would, she would use this hair grease. And so I don't think you're wrong in, um, in seeing or, or questioning, okay, Nella before Nella after, I mean, you know, what's, what's the difference really? Um, so, so yeah. yeah. I mean, there's all that stuff about like how she's from Connecticut and she grew up in like mostly white neighborhoods and went to mostly white schools and I guess has dated mostly white people, um, white men. Um, so I do think that there's, you know, I think it's like an interesting question about like, would Nella have even gotten the job initially if she wasn't already Mm. palatable to like white folks in the workplace. Right. So in some ways it's like, so yes, she's like maybe becoming more of that. But I think like in the notes that she finds about herself and Hazel, I think the word was like complacent, 
right? So mm. she's like, Nella's mm-hmm. already like complacent. So I think, and I think that is like the big question here, right? Because like, even in that conversation, but there's also the sense that like Nella has changed, right? So she's like, when was the last time that I posted about this? So there was like a sense that she used to post about these things, right? Like right. she used to care about these things, but then like working at this white place has sort of like dampened her own kind of ideas around like what she should be doing around sort of issues of blackness. Uh, but I think your other question was like, does it really matter that she shared a link on Twitter about these things, right? Which actually yes. makes me think about the conversation we had about the hate you give, right? Like, I think one of the things that we sort of found sort of somewhat lacking about that, it's like, actually, you don't make change by making like random sort of posts on social media or sort of, you know, going to a one random like protest, right? It's about like joining and organizing with people and like trying to push for things collectively. Um, And like that sort of like revolutionary and radical, right? That it's like about not just being like, I'm just going to post these things. But I do which actually makes me then think of like, you know, one of the things that you brought up, Crystal, was about just like generational resistance and just thinking about whether it's harder these days, right, to like to maybe do that. And maybe I'm just thinking it's also like pandemic and people are But that's actually not true, right? Like I think about the sort of the uprisings in Minneapolis and it was a lot of young folks, right, who came together collectively and organized resistance on the ground and like, right, and sort of a way. But it's like hard to also sustain that if you don't already have like organizations or if you don't then build organizations to like keep the work moving. Um, so I think both of those things. So I agree. Like I think Nella with the hair grease or without the hair grease, like maybe there's not that much of a difference and she was targeted for the hair grease because they already saw those qualities. But also even when she maybe was thinking about being radical or she, you know, maybe wasn't that radical because it was like very individualistic and sort of the way that she was like thinking about resistance. So maybe if she had been the kind of um, young black woman who would be more inclined towards a radical politics than maybe she wouldn't have been working at this place in the first place because she wouldn't have been palatable to them. Right. Or um, maybe, maybe the OBGs wouldn't have targeted her because they would have thought, well, she's not going to be susceptible to this. So it's like, is that list, you know, the list that she, that um, Hazel was, I think, um, compiling to mm-hmm. try to. The ones who were at the hair party. Yeah. Right. And what are they called? Involuntaries, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <the> involuntaries. Yes. <laughs> Um, are they chosen because they are, you know, sort of on that on that uh, sort of cusp of, you know, palatability, and that they would—is that a word? I'm not sure. And would they um, more easily maybe accept this because they are there and not, you know, in some sort of more radical space? Which makes me think, like, okay, this is the other thing. You, um, I, I, we were talking about this before we started recording, and you mentioned it, I think, um, briefly a few minutes ago, but. I mean, the purpose of, and check me if I'm wrong on this, the purpose of the hair grease, when they're having this conversation and Hazel's trying to convince her, what she basically says is, "You, this will make it so that you won't feel the pain anymore of okay. being this person in this um, white supremacist space. So I think, like, I wonder, because to me, part of what it means to be in resistance is that you must feel the pain because that's sort of like part of what you're that's part of showing you that you're pushing that you're resisting i guess is what i'm saying and um when i think about you know resistance black resistance movements or black freedom movements they've always been extremely painful because of the amount of resistance that's arrayed against them and i don't think i'm just trying to think of like you know mlk or like Bayard rustin or somebody be like we got this cream that lets us still protest and go march and everything but we don't have to feel anything like that seems like it's sort of um missing the point like you wouldn't and, be protesting and, if you weren't feeling the pain right right yeah. that that somehow it, it's it's part of pushing back against the system that's mm. trying to oppress you is that it's going to be difficult and painful and challenging and all that and the the one other thing i'll say is like james baldwin in um, the fire next time he basically says that that white people are you know and he's generalizing you know, sort of white people are essentially like um um children because they are not able to suffer and that um, to to sort of suffer is a is a way to become emotionally and spiritually mature. And that while people do it differently, it's sort of like part of going through life and moving through life and and moving to different levels of of existence or something like that, right? And so, if you take something that would just sort of numb you from all of the pain in your life and the suffering, would you sort of like fix yourself in this place where you could never? go forward. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. One thing is in terms of, 
you know, the, the, the hair grease that numbs the pain. I mean, does it also numb other emotions, right? What are the, what are the side effects for, you know, just getting rid of the pain? I mean, if you don't have the pain, might you not experience the joy or the celebration or triumph, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there, I think there are more implications to, you know, deciding, oh, I just want to not feel the pain of white supremacy. Uh, but the other thing that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to say this very early on, but our conversation has just been so great that I haven't been able to say it, but I don't want us to forget, right, that ultimately this book is about Black women at work. And y'all yeah. know work is my my academic location, right? It's, it's the place that I'm most concerned about when I think about Black women's history. Mm. And so, and so, then, and so for me, since it's the primary location, then all of these questions about possibility or impossibility or resistance or not are in the context of Black women's work. Mm -hmm. But then also, this is a particular workplace, right? It's a it's a majority white work workplace where it's really stratified, um, even within the workplace, among mm -hmm. class and cultural capital. Right. And so all of this is going into what makes Nella feel what she's able to do in this workplace. And so um, although we've been talking about whether or not she was resisting prior to the hair grease or after, you know, couching it in this context, like what are the real possibilities for black women to resist in a majority white workplace? And I even write about this in a book that's coming out next year, right? Ooh. Like what are the what are the actual possibilities, right? And when we begin to kind of minimize, oh, it was just posting on an Instagram or it was mm. trying to run a diversity series that never got off the ground. What does that actually mean when we begin to say, oh, that's not really that's activism because, because of the steps that they uh, that a person, a black woman has to take to even get to that mm. and then to be shut down, mm. right? And so we see over the course of the book, we see Nella's attempts mm -hmm. to be more radical at work, but partially because she's the only black person you know, she's not able to to make any traction um, mm -hmm. until until Hazel comes. And that's a whole different story because <laughs> then you get I mean, you know, it, it just complicates things so much. But I wanted to throw in that kind of that yeah. added thought. Um, but, but I still I mean, I still I'm in lockstep with our analysis so so far. But I just never want us to get too far from, you know, this is in this is not a revolutionary march down the National Mall. Right. This is a, mm. a, a conservative a conservative white workplace, right? Yeah. Which is interesting because I don't know that the white people who work there would say that it's conservative, right? Like, I think that's like the other like, thing liberal. about... Right, exactly, right? Like, I think they, they would say that they're liberal, which is why, like, you know, when that author comes in and he's like, hey, look, I've included a Black character in my book about the opioid mm -hmm. crisis. Everyone's mm -hmm. like, oh, that's so brilliant. You have diversity in your book and, like, don't, like, yes. realize how problematic yes. that character is, right? Like, And maybe maybe I should clarify, you know, maybe this particular office isn't, uh, is more liberal, but the publishing world, right. the industry, mm -hmm. you know. But is, I do think it's conservative I mean, in the I, sense that they're still conserving whiteness, right? Like, no. Right. Yeah. Like I mean, liberal. yeah, when I say white liberal, I mean like in the MLK way, like yeah. the, the big, bigger problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so okay. I don't think okay. you're wrong. Yeah. I just think like people would be like, oh no, like we're not conservative. Not a, like, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. like just yes, what I yes. meant. Uh, but Absolutely. I appreciate that. We, we allied Shaniqua in the book, so. Right. <laughs> right. right. Uh, no, but I, I appreciate your point about, like, what is the possibility of, like, resistance when you're the only person? But it's also thinking about, it's, like, interesting to me because we were chatting before about, like, sometimes it's about, like, change can happen and, like, it's about, like, can you make that change palatable, right? Because if it's, like, so when Nella was trying to, like, put together those diversity town halls, like, nobody bit. But doesn't Hazel actually then, like, talk to Richard and Richard's, like, Yes, we're gonna Let's have these it. like diversity town halls, and so it's just like very like interesting to like think about how sometimes resistance can actually interesting ways can be co opted, <laughs> right, into like making the like white workplaces look better. And of course, Richard is deep in this conspiracy, right? right? Like, so right. of course, of course, he he wants to do whatever Hazel is suggesting, right? And yeah. that also, you know, puts on that kind of um, that face on. The workplace that it is you know this sort of progressive mm -hmm. workplace but um i yeah i i totally un dig what you're saying crystal and i you had um before we started recording we compared this um workplace to blanche on the lamb like mm -hmm. blanche the character in that book which we have a episode on uh many many 
episodes ago that you can check out if you want to. But I was thinking after you brought that up, I was thinking like, okay, so the workplaces, and maybe this speaks to that generational thing too, because Blanche and the Lamb is a book from, you know, the 90s, early 90s, I think, maybe mm-hmm. later, early, early 90s. And so um, Barbara ne- Neely's a different um, generation, maybe almost like two generations um, mm. before Miss um, Harris here. And the workplaces are different. The Blanche is working in a workplace that has been sort of designated as a black woman's space, you know, it, mm. you know, from a in a certain mm. uh, cultural context mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but she finds she works to find like liberation within that space mm. and then like when i think about like the subsequent books like she becomes like this sort of afro um centric like she she's she um yeah. pursues like african-based religion and like sort of afrocentric politics and um she black love like she falls in love with the black mm. i mean like it's all this sort of like really black 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 stuff yeah. um that she gets from sort of resisting that works attempt to you know mm. like um, uh to oppress her right and here we get something very different which i guess that there's a i mean obviously we're supposed to be critical of of nella and the choice that she makes and that's sort of the the horror of it is that Nella makes this choice to accept this hair grease and the numbing and all of that. But I wish I, I wish there was more of like the other side. I you know mm-hmm. she she has the you know the Shawnee character and you know mm-hmm. you get a little bit of the women and the resistance. But I feel like I don't get enough of them and mm-hmm. that their kind of like conversations with each other are very are not sort of um they don't seem to be quite in sync with each other and. I don't know. I just I, I wish I had more because like if it comes for me, this is good. This is really this book is really great as a description of what it's like for a, a, a BIPOC person to be in a in a white space. And, and you know, as I said, different from from Blanche on the Land, because it's a space where only white people are supposed to work mm-hmm. like black people aren't right. supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 So right. your 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 presence upsets the expectation. Right. Yes. And of course, anything that you suggest is going to get shut down. Right. Because like, is it really that bad? And blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, it does that. But I, I just don't feel like it's as radical in the way that Blanche on yeah. the Lamb is in terms of yeah. the way that it, it shows the, the workspace and how she makes it her own. Yes. And it's two different things. So maybe it's not fair to compare them. Mm-hmm. But, uh, just, no, but I do think that. I mean, like, okay, so there's, like, horror at, like, Nella choosing why she does. But I think there's also, I mean, I I at least felt some, like, empathy and sympathy for why she does make that choice, right? Like, I think it's sort of, like, you know, like, I think, like, Hazel's, like, self to her is, like, hey, like, our lives are difficult as, like, the only Black yeah. people or the very few Black people in a workplace, and this is going to make it easier. But I think, like, your point, like, yeah, I wanted to know more about Shani and Kenny, Kendra Ray and be, like, why did they not yeah. choose to like sort of go down that road yeah. with or without the hair grease, right? It's all like they're sort of, you know, and like Kendra Ray's choice to, I mean, she basically got all these like death threats and had to like leave because she like had this like super honest conversation about like what it, you know, she was basically like, I really don't want to work anymore with white folks, right? And like, you right. can't say that, I guess, right? Like you can't say that even if like a lot of people do feel that way. Um, so I, I, I agree with you. Like, I think it would have been interesting to like learn more about them and like why they chose the paths that they chose in like, yeah. in like what it meant to be like to be black in like a very white workplace. Cause that was true for both of them. Yeah. I, I mean, I totally agree. And, and for me, my critique around the book actually comes around, um, all of these sub stories. Cause I, I actually found the resistance element of the story a little bit confusing as it came back and forth mm-hmm. between the primary story of Nella and Hazel. I'm just like, okay, wait a minute, who are these people? <laughs> What's going on? Like, what are they doing? Um, and so in terms of, of the, the way the story laid out and the writing of it, that part was actually very confusing to me, mm-hmm. but that was a crucial, that was a crucial plot point that we needed to understand to mm-hmm. figure out, okay, you know, we know the big story is like these, this workplace, these workplace issues, right? And Nella is trying to figure it out. But then this other part of the story, which is so important, which also connects to, you know, the people that Nella wants to, like she's modeled her entire career after, like they're all involved in this this subplot. But just the way that got rolled out, I was just like, okay, wait a minute. Am yeah, I reading? I mean, am I reading too fast? <laughs> no, I feel the same way. Like I was trying to understand, okay, so how did this all begin? Like, did it exist before Kendra and Diana? Diane, I think her name is. Right. Or did it start with them? And then mm-hmm. Diane was having an affair with Richard. 
And then he bankrolled this thing after the woman came yeah. up with the formula for the hair. Right. right. But right. why? Why did they? What was the conflict between Kendra Ray and mm -hmm. Diane? Mm -hmm. Is it just because Kendra or Diane was more, I guess, aligned with white folks because she was having this affair or something? Like, I don't really understand. I don't think it's like she was aligned with white folks, but I think she was afraid that she would lose her chances in the publishing world because she's like associated with somebody who's coming out and saying that I don't want to work, work with white folks anymore. Right. Um, and I right. think, you know, and she, um, and I do think it's like interesting. Cause I think like the idea of like, and it was like Imani who was like their other childhood friend who like created the formula. Mm -hmm. And I can't quite mm -hmm. remember maybe why she started creating it. So maybe there was like a longer story there that I would have like also been interested to find out. Uh, but I think it literally was that she wanted Kendra Ray to like take back some of what she said so that like her mm -hmm. publishing career wouldn't be, um, jeopardized, right? And I think the idea. And I was thinking, Kendra Ray as like Kendra Ray is the um, is blown up my spot. Yeah, and like I that think kind so. of sort of radical honesty needs yeah. to be curtailed. Yeah, yeah, I mean, because that also like kind of points to like her fears about because they were you know they were two peas in a pod, right? Mm -hmm. And so Kendra Ray had these explosive comments. Then of course they're going to think she thought the same way, right? And so, but to me that that's also a point about working in a white workplace where it's like all the black people got to think alike. Right. They, you, you know, they look alike, you know, so they all, they, they got to think alike, you know? Right. And so they're all the same, they're homogenous. Like there's no room for differences among black people. And so white people, a white workplace can't hold black people of dissenting opinions and backgrounds. Cause it's just too much, it's just too much. Can't hold it, you know. Which is so like, yeah. I can barely remember their different names. Now I gotta remember that they think different. Wow. I feel like which is so <laughs> ironic because I feel like so many white people are always like, "Oh, I'm not like the rest of the white people," and like that's like, you know what I mean? It's like they're ironic because the like they're like all right. black people are the same, but I'm not like any other right. white person. Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, it goes back to that whole point that you know whiteness gets individuality, yeah, but blackness gets homogeneity, yeah. right? You know, so um, I was trying to find that chapter where Diane, it's like in Diane's voice and she's like talking about um, like why they sort of created the whole thing in the first place. I don't know if I'll find it, but okay, yeah, so I was yeah. trying to like figure out where that was um, just to go back to the origins. But I, I do think it's like something like that, right? It was kind of like basically, and I guess Richard got on board, at least in my reading, initially Richard got on board because Diana convinced him that it was like necessary, right? Like he seemed like he was kind of like, eh, it'll blow over, it'll be fine. Uh, but I think she convinced him. But then it seems like he sort of took it on and was like starting to like he started sending Diana like names of other black women that he thought like we should like, you know, could exactly. use the hair grease. So I feel like initially, like I think it was her. Uh, but then like he sort of like, which is also maybe says something about dynamics of like race. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes it's mm -hmm. like even if it was like less like horrorish and there was something just like, OK, we maybe need to figure this out. And then, like, a white person gets involved and then it gets, like, bigger and, like, badder. Badder in a bad way, not badder in a good way. Yes, that all makes sense. And I can I can put that into my head, I think. I think, like, the question then... So I'm really interested in this kind of genre question that you posed earlier. And I think this is connected to everything that we're talking about now. Because, you know, one of the things that happens to me, like, I love genre fiction. And I love, like, I think I love uh, sort of pure genre fiction where you don't have kind of like oh it's now it's this kind of genre mm. and then it's sort of kind of genre i'm not 100 percent about that that's i'm just saying that right now maybe i'm <laughs> wrong and that, that uh defies that but like sometimes when you have like i feel in this book like i'm like where's the moral center of the book like i'm mm. trying to figure out who i'm supposed to be critiquing and who i'm not supposed to be critiquing mm. like who i'm supposed to be identifying with because i mean obviously we identify with nello for most of the book because the description of what she goes through is very accurate mm -hmm. and we identify with it and we've experienced it ourselves etc cetera, etc cetera. right but by the end like i was like shawnee and then in that last last uh, chapter like Nella's come to shut Shani down, right? Yeah, right, right. So you had to have this switch, you know? And I, and so it's like, I feel like is Shani the sort of moral center of the book who I should have been paying attention to mm. for the time? Um, is it Kendra Ray? Like who, who and, and if it is, why so little attention to her? You know, so that's maybe goes back to my whole thing about, I wish there was more attention paid to the um, resistance movement. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I find this book hard to, so to get a fix on that way. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. obviously, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. 
which I guess is like my, like the big question that we were talking about, right? Like, do we need, I think Todd, you framed it as like, do we really need another metaphor or another kind of like way to describe the horrors of racism in the workplace, right? Um, but I guess it's like, we needed some sort of like plot device to like move the story forward. Cause it's like, if you're just writing about like Nella, like being the only black woman, right? In the when book. does it end? It <laughs> right, never ends. Exactly. The book, is, the book continues. <laughs> so I was like, maybe she just, you know, like we do need something to like start and end the book and maybe having this like horror plot twist is one way to do it. But I guess I was curious whether y'all thought that like thinking about this like hair grease, thinking about this like external external reason for why, right? People might give in and people might sort of act the way they do. Was that helpful or was that, did that just make it confusing or weird? Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm still not sure where I stand on that. I'm kind of torn about this, you know, yeah. because I, yes, I did say something like that to you. Like, why did we don't need another metaphor for racism? And I was uh, going back to my whole, if you guys have listened to the show for all these years, you know that I had this uh, love hate with uh, Jordan Peele's movies and uh, Get Out. Like my whole thing about Get Out was like, oh, that's great. But like just the, um, th there's horror in just going to white people's houses. <laughs> like, <laughs> they, they don't have to be like breaking your Locking body. Locking you up in the basement. <laughs> Yeah, it's just scary going there. Ooh, right. Like, I think people of color would like identify with that, you know. So, but that just you know, it's it's a great story to tell the whole thing about um, that, like right. it does in the movie, and it and it you, it gave us a great metaphor, like the sunken yes. place, right? Which just seems to be really useful. And so, the idea that metaphors are not useful that's a stupid thing for me to say because they're obviously very useful, right? Like, and you're you know, a literature professor, dude. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm a little. But um, maybe the the question I'm really asking or the or the issue is what you said. Like, is it a metaphor that's just to serve the plot, or is it a metaphor that's going to deepen and enrich the meaning, mm -hmm. and um, is useful to think about something? And maybe you know these other black girls is useful to think about. Like, why are there um, black girls at work who basically sell out? I guess or seem like Uncle Tom's or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't, and, and at first I was like, well, is that a huge problem at work? And I was like, oh, maybe it is because I started, I, I, I could think of some in my work history, right? Like not just women, but you know, people who are like, hey, ain't we in this together? And then all of a sudden you see them sitting up higher and you're like, what happened to me? Like, wait, you, you know, so, yeah. I mean, that exists. So maybe this is, and in spaces, especially white spaces, white work spaces, it seems more likely for that to happen because, you know, the way that white people control those spaces and sort of divvy out the favors and the privilege and all that kind of stuff makes black people basically or people of color in general kind of be fighting for the scraps of falling off of the master's table. Hmm. So, I mean, I can. So there's some some definitely some usefulness there. But f again, for me, I keep going back to this thing that we've said over and over again, like to me, the most compelling part of the book is like the rendering of paranoia and fear and pain mm -hmm. that comes from just like knowing whether you should, should I say something or should I not say something? What mm -hmm. will happen if I mm -hmm. say something about this character that's really horrible and awful mm -hmm. and how will people respond to it and how will white people's like pain or their discomfort like sort of impact me mm -hmm. and mess me up because they're gonna protect themselves and protect each other, et cetera, et cetera, you know? So mm -hmm. like to me, that really uh, depicted the kind of horror of everyday work in a way that I thought was really, really um, accurate mm -hmm, and yeah. that I could identify with. And then when you added in the, the, you know, the plot, the other plot points, it kind of got confusing for me, but I understand. I'm not saying I rejected it entirely. I'm just saying like, yeah, that's all I'm saying. No, I, I totally agree. And in that last point, Todd, where you're saying that this, the, the, the metaphor or the, you know, the OBGs kind of really, points to, you know, the horrors of everyday work. I mean, that that to me is where I find the utility, right? And thinking mm -hmm. about just the everydayness, right? It doesn't it actually isn't, you know, some some big magnificent magnificent. I mean, it's just like the everydayness of being, you know, a million paper cuts, death by mm -hmm. a million paper cuts, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. That this book describes or it helps us see, but it also what I also 
think it's asking us to do is to kind of question, you know, our expectations again around what are the possibilities of actually resisting a white supremacist workplace? Like what can what what can mm-hmm. we actually do, especially when we think about all of the things that that might implicate? And, and, and in thinking about this question, it reminds me of the um, the um, the article you forwarded, Anita, by Ajioma Oluo. I think that's Oluo. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're subscribed to her to her Substack, then you might have received um, a new piece she wrote uh, called "There Are So Many Ways to Die," which is in direct conversation with number one, working in a in a kind of majority white uh, publishing world, but then also some really kind of astute comments on the ability of Black folks in certain areas to even resist, right? And what it means like. And while we might be really, really critical that, you know, black folks in mass aren't standing up at their workplaces and saying, hey, like we won't take this, there are there there are people who are always calculating, okay, if I say this, then that means this is gonna happen so that then we can't progress in this way. So I'm just gonna say this little mm-hmm. thing right now. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that also is what this book to me is asking us to think about what are the what are the again the, the what are the everyday horrors of working in a white supremacist um, workplace, but then what are the everyday ways that Black people are you know actively resisting um, in the context of so many choices they have to make around their you know their social well being, their emotional well being, their financial well being, like in the midst of all of these things that we have to deal with, you know. Um, so. Um. I did find the like original conversation that Diana has about Kendra and which okay. I think speaks to this, right? Kind of your point about mm-hmm. like, how do we speak up? And like, if we speak up, what are the consequences, not just for ourselves, but for like the mm-hmm. other folks of color, because clearly we're all apparently the same and like people, you know, like we're, we're going to get implicated, which I think is also like, um, sorry, before I get to the quote, it's like also interesting for me to think about. It, it's like, you know, this, like, not only like, what are the possibilities for resistance, but also what are the motivations for resistance? And also just like this, mm-hmm. this assumption that like we'll all resist just because we're marginalized also is like homogenizing us, right? Like your point, Crystal, was kind of like, we're n- black people are not a monolith. Like no people are a monolith, mm-hmm. right? So it's like no mm-hmm. reason to believe that somebody like Hazel would be doing what they're doing just because they're a human being and they have different ways of like reacting and like being in the world, right? So I think that is like interesting too. Uh, but this is 280, 281. Um, so sort of talking about, uh, let's see. Sorry, so she's kind of talking about Kendra Ray and like initially when they were talking about it. And so she says, what Kendra Ray needs to do is to just suck it up, suck it up, apologize for what she said and be grateful for what we've all been able to achieve here so that we can get back to business as usual. I've got four. No, and this is um, Richard talking. I've got four, no, five authors who've told me that they're holding on to their work before Kendra Ray gets with the program. One of them is black, too. You may be interested in no. And then Diana says, but Kenny's not going to say she's sorry. She's literally, she'd literally do anything on this earth instead of say sorry, even if it means being blackballed from the entire industry. We both know that, and we both know where she's coming from, right? Um, you've said it yourself how suffocating this place uh, can be if you were in her shoes, and then Richard says, I wouldn't be. I'd never shit where I eat, and it serves the damn bitch right. It's like, whoa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so anyway, so then, like, he, you know, then she says that she's not going to denounce her, uh, but she does say, right, because it's like some people will see me. And she says she won't denounce her because like some black people see me, see me as a traitor and they won't buy her book. And so they're like trying to think through like what happens. And then they bring up Imani. Um, and she says, where does Imani say? Uh, sorry. So this is like 283. And she says, and she's talking to Imani. And she says, um, you know, this like, oh, no, she's talking to Richard. Sorry about the. I guess the cream that Imani's doing. And she says, I'd, I'm not saying I want her shucking and jiving. I'm just going to help her chill out a bit. That's all. Help her find her footing again. Trust me, she's better relaxed than uptight. So that was like the initial mm-hmm. idea, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. well, and, and that yeah. part is brilliant, right? Because yeah. like yes. the whole thing about relaxed and yes. relaxed hair, right? Like, exactly. That's, that's really good. I, lo- I like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then, like and Dick this, gets and on this it, and he's like, really helpful. "Yeah." And then he sort of gets on it, and he's like, uh, "You know, Kenny disappears." Uh, but then a few weeks later, Dick told me about a friend of a friend who was having tr- some problems with a black writer who was spreading rumors about his white boss as a about a magazine in Tulsa. Um, but then it was like, and then a black adjunct professor at Washington U who had, who claimed that she'd been called the N word multiple times at a Christmas party. I refused both of his asks only to learn later that both of these individuals had been fired and left unemployed with families to feed and no one to hire them. 
which I think is like so interesting. So in her mind, she's like helping, she's helping. these folks, right? Yeah. To like mm-hmm. not speak up in ways that are like that would make their white employers uncomfortable and get fired, right? Like it's like an economic thing too. So I feel like from her side, it's like this like interesting. Right, but she didn't give the she didn't give the hair grease to she these didn't. two people. But then they right, got and the impl- and, right, and right, and that's the implication, right? It's like okay, had I given it to them, right. then they would have used it, uh, straightened up a bit, and then kept their jobs and been able to feed their families. Exactly. So I mean, so yeah, so it's so, so that yes, and that is the thing that is so hard to like. It's so infuriating, right? Because mm-hmm. the question should be. Why are those places the way that they are? Exactly. And why are people treating these folks right. the way that they are? Right. And Dick never, he never um, denies that that workplace is a difficult place for um, Black people to work in. Right. But he basically, like when he says, I wouldn't shit where I eat, he basically means I would just shut up and deal with it. Yes. But of course, right. as a white person, he never have to deal with what she's right. dealing with. Right. Right. And that's, and the difficulty of it that we've seen through depicted in the whole book which is like a daily horror show in and of it itself, right? You know, I think about the, you know, when people say, like lots of times when you talk to a, another BIPOC person at your workplace, they will, and they want to ask you about something that happened, they will start by saying, no, I'm not crazy, am I? And then right. they'll tell you what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you will be like, no, you're not crazy. Like that happened to me too. Or right. I know that I've heard stories about that person or whatever, but that they usually it's, it's, it's preceded by, some sort of questioning of their own ability to assess a situation yes. shows this kind of like paranoia, this mm-hmm. kind of anxiety that mm-hmm. they that we have to deal with yeah. on a daily basis in these spaces, right? So, yeah. um, so if she thinks she's doing the right thing by just numbing it, the pain, helping to smooth it out a little bit, right? Which is kind of like just get that's kind of like saying like just give somebody a little bit of heroin, you know, just let them just calm them down a little bit, right? You know, right. <laughs> Or, or or it's like you know give them a little bit of uh instead of going to get the the bad tooth removed just give yeah, them a little bit a little of numb yeah a little painkiller mm-hmm. yeah it'll make yeah. you feel better but meanwhile but so bad exactly exactly mm-hmm. and, and 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 this 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 exact conversation is why I I I this book is difficult for me because I'm not sure whether I should critique the author or, sh- sh- or am I should I critique the society we I should critique the, critique the society we live in for sure but like the, the again the solution to dealing with injustice and we see this historically we see this present day is for black people to change themselves mm-hmm. why can't the solution why isn't the solution ever we got to change these messed up systems and structures like why is it always so easy mm-hmm. to just say black people or people of color change yourself and so I don't know I don't know whether I, I really want to know like does this what does this author think about <laughs> like about like how do we figure out these injustices because I'm really tired of reading whether it be his whether it be fiction or nonfiction that the solution is to change black people I'm I'm just tired of reading that mm. well it, it, I suppose you could read it you know as a critique of whiteness and that you know like mm-hmm. that whiteness mm-hmm. will always um recruit you know mm-hmm. black folks who will go along to be a part of oppressing right. other black people right in order yeah. to maintain white people's comfort and power yeah. and all of that yes mm-hmm. right i mean i guess you can read it that way yeah that's also I, I feel like the book doesn't um i wish it was more con- uh, not kind uh, kind of kind but i w- I wish it was um, it put more focus on the characters who were. I mean, yes. I guess that's what it, it's a horror. It's a horror, but it's a it's a it's a book. It's a horror book that ends with the black person getting killed at the end. You know, like right, which is like really. Mm. I want the book where the black person lives. Yeah, I know exactly. Which is funny because like which is also why we liked Get Out and like the end, right? Because right? it's like yeah, they had like that alternative ending where like he does like actually not. Yes. Right? Yeah, where I'm the like, car pulls <laughs> up and dude is in the car. Yeah, and everybody, the whole whole theater went crazy. <laughs> right. right, right, and then the other thing, I mean, we keep calling this a horror book, 
And it is. Yes, now I know that. But when I picked this up, I'm like, I wasn't like I'm reading a horror book. I'm yeah. like, I'm reading a book. I'm reading about a book about black women in the workplace and, and hair. I mean, you know, I just wasn't like expecting <laughs> the horror to to be continuous. Yeah. Even after the book ends. I mean, but that's the world. <laughs> that's the world we live in. So. It's psychological horror and psychological yes. horror, like just yes. stays with you, right? Like right. You're, yes. you're dreaming. I mean, if you have nightmares about this book, it's about being in a meeting and being like. Um, that was racist and people being like was it racist really are you sure like that's well, or also like you say that and then you expect like the other person of color in the room to back you up and they don't right, right. Like, i think there's yes. like horrors of, like of like so many levels like there's like just the horrors of right. like working in a white place but like the horrors also of like the people that you because that's what happens to shawnee that's right like she's actually like mm -hmm. just having a conversation with another mm -hmm. uh with i guess mm -hmm. who hazel then ava uh, <laughs> um and then yeah. like ava basically tells the white editor yeah. like what shawnee told her in confidence clearly yeah. right i mean i right. think like you know todd when you were like you know when you have this conversations with other folks and you're like am i crazy but when you're like mm -hmm. relating that story you expect that person not only to like empathize and like give you some good feedback but you don't expect them to go back and like tell the right. white person that you're talking about <laughs> like you yes. know they're like guess what todd was saying about that is that black, is really you know? a nightmare so, yeah that was just, like, terrible. Really interesting to me on that level too but um so maybe like our last question we can wrap this up but i think Crystal, you had brought up this, you know, kind of, and you've already addressed this in terms of like, is the point of this book is that like, regardless of why, right, that like change, like basically things won't change and whiteness won't change. So all we can do as like folks of color or black folks is to like, we have to change to adjust. Like, is that the message or is that, you know, and you were kind of talking about just like black art and literature and like, what are we reading? And or maybe Todd, you brought that up. I'm not sure. But just like, what is this book doing in this world, right? And it's like funny mm -hmm. because I was also thinking about the cover and that whole conversation they have in the book about choosing covers. Um, but mm -hmm. also it's like, who mm -hmm. is the audience for this book? Like, is it other right. folks of color and like black yeah. folks who like deal with this or is mm -hmm. it for the white folks in these workplaces mm -hmm. <laughs> to like mm -hmm. read this? And like, mm -hmm. if they do, mm -hmm. like, what do we get out of it? What do they get out of it? Right. Like, what's, yeah. So maybe that's kind of like our question we can wrap up on. Oh, that's a hard one, cause, Anita. Cause <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't know what to do after this book. You know, I, I still like, I, I feel like I'm still kind of sitting in the space of, okay, what, what next? And, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and it's a book and it maybe it's just that the author wants you to linger and whatever that, that mm. final emotion or those final emotions you have after reading and realizing what Nella's choices mm. are, mm. you're just supposed to sit and sit in that and contemplate that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the other thing though, that Again, I'm critical of some of the aspects of this book, but you know, this book is doing some work in terms of exposing Black women's experiences in the workplace. Mm -hmm. It's have it's, it's it's asking us to think about you know even down to the type of Black women's hair. Mm -hmm. It's thinking it has asking to think about grease, mm -hmm. your hair grease. I mean, like where 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 do you have like conversations about hair grease like in the mainstream? You know, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. so some of this work, some of this cultural work it's doing mm -hmm. is really important. I just don't know what I. Crystal Moten I'm going to do with this book and my feelings with it uh, you know after gotcha. I, I think I think that um you know I have tr I have trouble with uh satire and I, I just turned and looked at the back of the book and, and noticed that two people two authors I really 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 love and respect Walter Mosley and Attica Locke mm -hmm. are on the on the back here with the blurb you know and of course like the whole blurb economy is like you know that's a whole thing but you know at a says this book is funny is it's the funniest wildest deepest most thought-provoking ride of a book and i had i hadn't thought so much about it being funny and i then i realized like i have like i, I used to have problems with satire mm -hmm. um like when you know when i i read the sellout or you know like a book like that like i'm like oh i get it kind of makes me mad because as i asked before like where's the moral center of the book if it's a satire where everybody's getting got then there's kind of like it's difficult to sort of find where you are and it's also difficult to feel like you're not getting got to and um you know yes. that might be maybe a, a characteristic of this book as well not that everybody's getting got but that mm. the whole thing is getting got like the whole sort of system right and then the response to it mm. right mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. if we identify and sort of put ourselves in the system then it's going to be uncomfortable for us too, right? Like, because mm -hmm. we are, oh, I mean, good. I guess we are N Nella, maybe, or we, 
Are we Hazel? Like, whatever we are. In- <laughs> I like- plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. <laughs> I like, I want to be Kendra Ray, but I'm probably Hazel. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of it. You know, that's like, why we're you know? uncomfortable with it, too. Yeah. Right. yeah that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, maybe that's a good place to leave it. Who are you in this book as you read this book? <laughs> right. Which character do you most see yourself in? Exactly. You? Nope, no comment. Oh, I think I'm Owen. Who <laughs> are? <laughs> Oh my god. Nice. We like don't even kid. talk about Owen. There's so much in mm-hmm. here. All right, mm-hmm. y'all. I hope you enjoyed wow. listening to that. But before we wrap up, we're gonna go around and do a round of what we're reading, watching, listening to, eating, whatever, something that you've enjoyed. Um so Crystal, do you wanna start us off? Yeah, I'll start off. I have been watching the um the limited series on Netflix called Inventing Anna about this supposed German heiress who comes over to the United States trying to start this exclusive social club that is actually mostly built on her story is mostly built on lies or we don't know Mm. and I'm like nine episodes in and I still don't know whether (laughs) she's actually so a German heiress that has all of this money and so I got like 40 minutes left I've been watching I've been watching that and maybe y'all know maybe you'll know Maybe y'all know. Thanks, Crystal. No, we should watch it. We should watch it. Do you recommend it? Oh, it's it's entertaining. It is okay. entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's entertaining. Good to know. All right, Todd, yeah. what do you got for us? Uh, I have two things. I just started reading Amani Perry's new book, South to America, oh, A Journey nice. Below the Mason-Dixon, mm-hmm. Understand the Soul of a Nation. Ooh, yeah. And um, I'm like a chapter in, and she's a brilliant writer. Mm. Really, really great so far and so um i definitely would recommend it based on what i've read so far and then i have uh been watching i've watched two episodes of the uh the kanye documentary oh and like i did not want to but i thought like hey, i'll check and see what this is about and actually the first two episodes i'm actually halfway through the third one there's three episodes the first two episodes are like amazing they're pretty amazing yeah. like they're basically like his friend cootie started videotaping him when they were like 16. Oh, wow. And just like followed him around with the camera through everything, like when he was making beats and like when he got, before he got signed by Rockefeller and all that kind of stuff. Wow. And there was like a, there's a small period, like six years where they don't talk and then he comes back. But anyway, it's kind of like, you get to see early 2000s, kind of like hip hop, like everybody's there. Yes, and it's really, really super interesting, and he's much less uh, annoying in as a younger person. Though he's a little bit annoying, and and certainly conceited, and all of that. Mm-hmm. But um, but that's the question: like, what does it mean to be a genius, and all that? Mm-hmm. So I would definitely recommend it, even if you have problems with Kanye mm-hmm. uh, in 2022. Um, it's interesting to sort of watch a person go from. You know, like the streets of, not the streets, but the suburbs of, of Chicago. <laughs> the suburban streets of Chicago. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, from Chicago to uh, New York to like the biggest, uh, uh, yeah. biggest rap artist in the world. So Cool. Thank you. Wow. I just finished reading, I guess, a couple of weeks ago, this novel called The Island of Missing Trees by Elif uh, Shafak. Uh, Shafak. I'm not sure if I to say that. Sorry. Who's a British Turkish novelist. And the novel is about this like family from Cyprus. And like part of the story takes place in England in like 2010s. Part of it takes place in Cyprus in the 1970s when like the couple basically meet and one of them is Greek and one of them is Turkish. And it's sort of taking Mm. place during the civil war that happened in Cyprus between the Greeks and the Turks, which honestly, I will say I know like very little about. So it's actually like interesting learning about that and kind of thinking about navigating like religious and ethnic differences. And also it's a love story. But what I found like super interesting about the book is like one of the characters in the book is a fig tree. And like, it's the only character that like speaks from a first person perspective. And there's like all this stuff around like trees and like how they communicate with each other, how they communicate with like other animals and like with humans. So yeah, it was like super interesting and kind of like very different than like some anything that I've read. Um, so definitely recommended. Um, I think that's it. I've been watching random shows on Netflix and nothing that I would necessarily care to share or recommend. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, but I, I did want to, I was wondering about inventing Anna's, Anna, Anna, so I will definitely check that out. So mm-hmm. thanks, y'all. Our next book is going to be Louise Urgich's book, The Sentence, which I'm super excited about because I also read it a while ago and I'm excited to 
talk about it with Todd and Crystal. So thanks for listening. And as always, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, all the places where you find podcasts. Um, and if you haven't yet, please get vaccinated and boosted. And please keep staying safe. Thank you for listening. And we're sending you all big virtual hugs. Bye, y'all. Bye. You've been listening to another brand new episode of The Drip recorded remotely from the Twin Cities in Minnesota and Washington, D.C. The show is written, produced, and directed by Anita Chikatur, Crystal Moten, and me, Todd Lawrence. We are the All Spoilers Collective. Special shout out to Lord Jordan X of Kansas City, Missouri for our theme music. We'll be back in April with a new episode. We talk about the novel The Sentence by Twin Cities Literati and bookstore mogul Louise Erdrich. See ya.